Hey, Alabaster Jar listeners, Lynn Kowick here. I'm honored to be the provost of Northern Seminary. I love how the mission of Northern is to equip church leaders to engage the world. The classes at Northern are full of rich discussion and practical learning. If you've ever considered advancing your theological or biblical education, seminary is a great option to explore. That's why I wanted to let you know about a special opportunity Northern Seminary is offering if you apply right now. We are offering a $50 Amazon gift card to everyone who applies and is accepted for the fall quarter. So now is the perfect time to apply. Go to seminary.edu backslash ajapply to schedule some time with our admission team or to start your application today. Again, that is seminary.edu backslash A-J-A-P-P-L-Y. Now sit back and get ready for today's episode. Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. In today's episode, our host, Dr. Lynn Kohick, is talking with Dr. Mimi Haddad. Mimi serves as president and CEO of CBE International and as an adjunct associate professor of historical theology at Fuller Theological Seminary. Mimi is an award-winning author, and she writes, teaches, and speaks on matters related to development, justice, faith, and gender. Some of her most recent works include History Matters, Evangelicals and Women, Human Flourishing, Global Perspectives, in the third edition of Discovering Biblical Equality coming this fall, and Is Gender Equality a Biblical Ideal with Sean Callahan, which has a second edition coming this year. Mimi serves in leadership with Evangelicals for Justice, and she is a founding member of the Evangelicals and Women's Study Group at the Evangelical Theological Society. Welcome, Mimi. I'm so glad that you've joined us. Thank you, Lynn. It's an honor to be here with you today. Well, uh, and uh, I want to let our listeners know that you and I have been friends for a long time. I'm not going to put it in years because I don't think I can count that high. And, and, you know, we have uh, some uh, mutual friends. Well, uh, I don't even know. We can't call them friends. We... um, you know my parents very well, and you are very good friends with them. Um, my mom served on the board of CBE for a while. And so, yeah, so uh, not only do we know each other professionally, but we also know each other uh, just as friends. So I am thrilled that you're talking with us today on the Alabaster Jar. Thank you so much. I uh, was just delighted to be invited. And you're right, we go way back. I think I've Petted the nose of all of your horses. Yes. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And um, love your parents dearly. Your mom flew out to our wedding, uh, spent, you know, got on a plane, flew out, was there for the important parts, and then flew back and did her work. And yeah. just really yeah. appreciate our uh, history together. Yes, yes. Well, speaking of history, tell us a little bit about the history of Christians for Biblical Equality. How did it start? And um, yeah, what's its mission? 
Well, thank you. Yes, uh, CBE was incorporated as an educational nonprofit in 1989. It was formed through the Holy Spirit, I believe, who pulled together these wonderful senior academics uh, nearing retirement age who were increasingly unsettled about the church's pink and blue spheres that they were finding difficult to navigate. Uh, they wanted to uh, express a different perspective that God distributes gifts according to God's pleasure and not according to giftedness. And so I remember Gretchen Gableine Hall uh, in her living room saying that, uh, you know, I grew up, my father was Frank Gableine, found one of the founders of Christianity Today and Stony Brook Christian Academy. And he would tell us repeatedly our responsibility as Christians is to figure out our calling, our gifts, to fan it into flame, to serve Jesus through our giftedness with every cell of our being. And I think that was the perspective of the founders. They were deeply committed to service as uh, biblically and socially. And this, uh, for their first project, was to publish an egalitarian manifesto called Men, Women, and Biblical Equality. It's now translated into over 30 languages, and it has become the founding document of a number, hundreds actually, of egalitarian churches and organizations. But this all started in Gretchen's living room in New York City, and it has grown to an international, um, as an international community, and we're just really awed and thankful for the way the Lord has used CBE. Yes, yes. Um, you know, as, as you think back to the late 80s or early 90s, what, what about the landscape back then versus now has changed? And then maybe are there some things that have stayed the same? Yeah, great question. Wonderful. Yes, I think there will be uh, and is an ongoing need to address the biblical passages. I, I think, as Gordon Fee said, the Holy Spirit speaks to us on the pages of the text. And so we're always drawn back to scripture and there's just a nurturing, a cohesion uh, among us as Christians as we unite together. We're people of the word, we're people of the book. And that need uh, never, it never diminishes, it remains robust. So that, that's one thing I believe stays the same. Uh, the recent megachurch in Portland, Imago Dei, uh, cites Priscilla Papers as one of the key resources that help them move into a mutualist position on women's leadership. So I'm thankful to say that this uh, work that we do, and you so ably, Lynn, as a biblical scholar, has made it possible for CBE to be of really strategic help to groups around the world. Um, and, and so, you know, I see that process evolving from, you know, what do biblical words mean? How do we interpret them? How do they fit into themes? And uh, those themes have grown to include justice and how do we address abuse? And I think that as time has evolved, this whole issue of abuse has come into the landscape more and more with Me Too and Church Too reckonings, we're seeing that this deep, deep biblical work is asking profound questions about human flourishing 
and exploitation of women in our churches and around the world. Yeah, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking of what when we're recording this, uh, the week that uh, Andrew Cuomo resigned from office. And I also, uh, just in the last two weeks or so, uh, listened to the podcast series, uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, that Christianity Today did. It's a superb, if um, challenging or disturbing, it's, it's an excellent piece of journalism. It's just what they talk about is, uh, you almost have to take it in small bites because it's pretty, pretty powerful. Um, but you know, you read uh, or hear those those stories of abuse in the church, um, and yeah, yeah, that it, it's both. I, I'm excited and happy that it's coming to light, but I'm also so disturbed because it's actually happening. I mean, we knew in a way that it was happening. Now it's just it's right there in front of our face. What What are your thoughts about this? Um, yeah. Yeah, these revelations, so to speak. Well, I think we've been naive uh, as Christians. Uh, we have, I've been tracking the work of secular researchers on the exploitation of girls and women around the world. And I agree with you. It's, it's tragic that people called to serve Jesus humbly have been um, perpetrators and uh, abusers. And yet this is a, a reality that girls around the world and women around the world have faced year in and year out. We believe that social scientists are telling us and economists that there's 200 million females missing from the planet. Uh, this is um, a massive exploitation on a global scale. It's the largest war against a people group in human history, and it's ongoing. In 1995, it was about 100 million, but today, through the web, the dark web and porn, the trafficking of girls and women, the level of this abuse is unthinkable. And uh, we see the tip of the iceberg and tragically in some of these faith communities, uh, but it's, it is a reality that Christians need to address and face in, in, with increasing faithfulness. How do you now, feel that CBE, sorry, how do you feel that CBE is uh, contributing to help the, the situation? Because I know you have a vibrant international ministry. Yeah, I think the, the work that we do internationally focuses very much on the context of the community that invites us to partner with them. But we are seeing uh, women around the world challenging strict gender roles, dominance, impunity and a lack of empathy. And those are the four horse riders of exploitation and sexual predation. So there is a- mm, Say those again, say those again, um, so there are, Mimi. We, just, we call them yeah. the four dark, dark horse riders. The horses are wonderful creatures. The four <laughs> dark horse riders of uh, sexual predators. And this comes from the work of Dr. John Pryor, who's a, uh, just a profound sociologist from Illinois. He is the leading researcher on what makes men harassers and what makes certain men creeps, he calls it. Uh, and he says dominance is key. Sexual predators uh, maneuver into communities that foster dominance, 
where there's very little accountability, impunity. They enforce strict gender roles. So they isolate girls and women in these spheres over which they have control and authority. And there's a lack of empathy. There's a lack of empathy. So we do not have, and this is exactly what women around the world do so well. They're granular with girls and women. They give them voice and agency. They know very well their circumstances. So they break down impunity and they challenge gender roles in their context. So uh, one way, and, and circular researchers have shown that when you place women at the higher levels, highest levels of leadership, they bring those experiences of women who are struggling uh, or perhaps they're exploited. They bring those experiences to those who lack the empathy to see it through their impunity and dominance. And uh, so those are ways in which we can challenge the four horse riders of predators. And the gender oh, roles is a big that. piece. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for repeating that because I uh, I had not heard that image before, but uh, taking it a bit from the book of Revelation, I love the the image. I, I It's very powerful. Um, what do you think are the key things then that we need to watch for in, in the years ahead? Yeah, it's uh, a great question. I think younger Christians and younger egalitarians are showing us the importance of true and authentic community, professional collaboration. They're thoroughly captivated by social justice in very holistic ways. They're deeply animated by the union of race and gender. What does it mean to be a woman of color? How are these issues um, ad addressed in, through justice by the church? And at CBE, we're finalizing our last year of a three-year strategic plan focused on race and gender. And I cannot tell you how much energy, light, joy, strength this process has been for all of us. I think the intersection of race and gender is increasingly on the forefront because we can see the, the four horse riders and how to address them. And women of color are masterful at addressing this type of injustice, getting to the roots and challenge them, challenging these with their voice, their gifts, and their agency. Yeah, you're um, you're located up in Minneapolis, uh, and so you've you've been experiencing one of the epicenters, I guess, of mm -hmm. this racial tension that the United States has faced over the last year mm -hmm. and a half. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what are are there some um, mm -hmm. I mean, you've talked a little bit about how that there's that tension. Do you have stories maybe that can help our listeners uh, apply some of the lessons that that you've you've learned or experience uh, learned from your experiences? Thank you. Yeah, CBE lives just a few blocks away from the epicenter uh, where George Floyd was murdered. He, we have. Um, CB staff are deeply involved in the work of the inner city and have been. I lived in the inner city. Your mom spent the night with me once there. And we, um, we are watching again, the leadership of women of color who have been active in these places for, you know, decades, centuries. And their leadership is so strategic. They are so well acquainted with the challenges and best solutions. And again, it goes back to 
um, bringing their voices to the table, making room for them, listening to them, uh, respecting their leadership, uh, and recognizing they have a unique place in history to address challenges they're very well acquainted with. And you know, I, I did a blog right after the murder of George Floyd, and it was it has had a profound impact on this community. Although Minneapolis is viewed as a very progressive uh, city, it is also those progressive projects are white-led. Scientific America did an interesting story on us, and that research is uh, fairly convicting. Again, there's a chance for us to incorporate and embrace the leadership of people who experience these challenges more than, than say, others. You know, and yourself as a woman of color um, and someone who is also leading, leading in the church, mm. what are some of the, um, and you've been leading CBE um, for how long now? I, I don't know. Um, well, I became president in 2001. It's hard to believe. Yeah. It. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And you've just, uh, this ministry has just grown, you know, praise the Lord under the um, power of the Holy Spirit. But uh, but you, you have obviously, not every day was sunny. Uh, there had to have been some, some struggles. Um, what, what are some of the lessons that you've taken from as, as a woman of color and leading uh, in the church that um, can, can help the rest of us as, as we seek to be, uh, to, to lead or to be influential or just to express our spiritual gifts um, right, as the right. Lord calls us. Yeah, thank you. I, I reflected on that question for some time and it seems to me that the spiritual disciplines are so key in navigating leadership it can you become overwhelmed so easily um the challenges are within your community and outside your community uh, and yet you want to have um such a deep connection with christ we see this in the social activism of the great christian mystics the great cloud of witness that went before us uh, having you know, great board members, which we've had, and, and great staff, which we've had, and a, a very prayerful community. CBE is deeply committed to prayer and spiritual retreats. Our staff uh, go off every year for about a week uh, and listen to the Lord. We rest, we worship together. And I, I think those disciplines, uh, sometimes they, they're just not possible because of our schedules, but those are the years where we're really at risk. Mm. And, and I think the mystics have shown us that, like, for example, perhaps the Apostle Paul, where his deep engagement with the Holy Spirit made it possible for him to be such an extraordinary, for this enormous energy to flow through him to accomplish the work he did under those circumstances. I think all leaders um, want to take on uh, the challenges successfully and faithfully, but I think the first step is you know, a deep leaning into God and those disciplines that Christians have passed on to us for centuries. So that's what I, I see as uh, important to overcome this sense of it's all on me. It has to happen through my efforts. I'm just, I'm just one little creature in the cog of creatures that are working on this effort all over the world. People whose names and achievements we'll never really know. And those are things that we can put behind us. Personal ambition, I think, is there's a challenge to that, recognizing 
everything was accomplished on Calvary. Jesus suffered on our behalf is um, through his character and his justice, his commitment to all of humanity. Those things open uh, vistas and opportunities we might not see without a deep reflection on our faith, the faith, the cornerstone of our faith, the cross. Wow, yeah, yeah. When you uh, took up the reins of CBE, I imagine it was uh, daunting, as, as you've said. What were some of the events and experiences leading up to that that really shaped you uh, so that you were ready or, or willing <laughs> to, uh, you know, to step into uh, leading this uh, evangelical egalitarian community of scholars? Yeah, well, I... You know, as you mentioned, I, I'm first generation in this country from, my father is from Lebanon. Uh, the, the church he was a part of is the Maronite church. They're from the mountains of Lebanon, right adjacent to the Syrian border. And so they have a deep tradition of the spiritual disciplines. And also it's a place in the world where there's a great power differential between men and women. And I was well acquainted with that through our culture. And I think that, you know, although I think fathers have a, a deep visceral connection to the injustices of women through their daughters, even so I've, I've watched men who have these wonderful relationships as, I, as I've had with my father, yet still treat other women uh, less equitably. And so that was an experience that I struggled with. My father thought it was uh, a, a bad career choice to work on this in the church. <laughs> uh, but he also taught me to fight and to play tennis uh, as vigorously as I could and not to be um, intimidated by men. And so I think the challenge when when I began working at, with CB, I met Catherine Krager at Harvard. I was doing my New Testament with Helmut Kester there. And I was so impressed by Kathy's grace and her integrity, her commitment to excellence, academic excellence. And so when I pursued my PhD in historical theology, I chose a topic that nurtured me spiritually, which was the um, mysticism of the early evangelicals. And that that was so renewing. And I would go away as I joined CB staff and became president. I was still working on these topics um, when I finished my PhD. And it was, it was hard work. And then it was this deep spiritual nurture. And those two things kept the boat balanced, kept the, the catamaran on two platoons. Which, which was really, really helpful. And we had such so many great board members and staff and colleagues who were people of prayer and, you know, ethically committed to their work and pursued excellence. So I think this culture was one that I deeply respected and wanted to be part of. And I just think you have a calling. The Spirit calls you and, and you find energy in that space. Um, I hope that's helpful. That's the best. Yeah. No, no, that's that's very helpful. You know, oftentimes when we see progress um, in terms of a, a group uh, who is receiving justice when they had faced so much injustice, there there can be a societal backlash. So, you know, if we consider that, um, what are some of your 
concerns maybe we we've talked a little bit about the hopes but what are your some of your concerns that maybe we should watch out for because you really have your pulse on how women are doing uh, globally and and also here in the in the United States in terms of their work in the church and in and in ministry yeah it's a great question thank you Lynn I love I love the depth of your in uh, probing here I I think that, you know, I think the backlash will not be biblical. There's been such great biblical scholarship. It's been abundant. It's been holistic. And it's addressing very real needs around the world. My concern is something that Richard Lovelace addressed as a historian, that we will be blown off by side winds. Mm. And I don't, I, I think if we can stay focused on our task and not allow a side wind that presents itself as our task, to, we have to perceive it and discern it spiritually in community. Is this our task or is this a side wind? And when you look at all the great reform movements in the history of the church, there's always, they're always dogged by these extraneous and dangerous sidewinds that require um, just, again, spiritual discernment, uh, reflection, community dialogue, and, and uh, commitment and really actually courage to address and to say, this is not, this is not helping this particular mission. That may be someone else's mission, but this is not our particular mission. And that's hard to do, but it will mean that you, you stay on task and have the capacity to address what you're called to address. And that that issue, I mean, I think it's it's before us every day. You know, what will, phone calls will I respond to? Which ones won't I? What emails are, are really worthy of responding to or addressing, or can I pass this on to someone else? No, that's really good. That That is really good. You know, as I think of some of the concerns um, that um, have been raised in, in the news recently, uh, you know, with church leaders, with politicians, um, there's, there continues to be a refrain of, well, I didn't mean it, or she misunderstood. So there continues to be this blame the victim and I worry that that uh, is going to continue. And I want us to be alert, you know, to to that. That goes way back to the Bible as well. When uh, the women return from the tomb, it's empty, you know, and there's a lot of disbelief. Um, and so it's certainly not a new problem. But I think also, and you mentioned earlier, uh, this idea of domination, that we imagine leadership uh, oftentimes as domination. And I think when you get a celebrity culture and you mix that in, uh, people who are kind of famous seem to be able then to get away with a lot. And their domination, their anger, uh, that sort of thing is tolerated uh, because they're you know, bigger than life. And so you know, the same rules don't apply to them. And I think what, what I've... Uh, been concerned about is an inability uh, of our culture to be able to create a masculinity that 
uh, mirrors uh, Jesus's masculinity of one who is very empathetic, to use another word that you've brought up here, very empathetic, uh, very concerned about justice for the vulnerable, um, and uh, and you know, incredibly strong, but strong for the right things, um, not lashing out in anger, uh, but trusting uh, the the will of God in His life, and and so I hope that as more and more women find their voice, more and more men will also find a, a truly godly voice that um, that doesn't play into the stereotype of men as needing to be dominant uh, or they're not masculine. What, what are some of your thoughts on, on that? Well, I think, you, I think you've hit a keystone uh, that I observe with these mega church leaders or these celebrity Christians where they become sort of an unofficial pope and their voice needs to be heard on every single topic. Uh, and I think that that self-identity as an authority, as a celebrity, is deeply misleading. I don't know many Christians who have that calling, really. Again, it's selecting the, that project you're called to and doing it faithfully, whether or not it attracts favor or disfavor. I think celebrity leaders do manifest those four horse riders we talked about earlier and this idea that you are the authority on every topic uh, and it's it's just cannot humanly be done Jesus um, Jesus is our authority and I, I you know that sounds simplistic but I do think that there are ways in which we as we walk with God and with each other and recognize our limitations there's this deep humility that that we have I think lost um, and need to recover. And certainly the founders of CBE pressed against this idea that men can do it all, that men are the authority on everything, that other voices are needed at the table. And that's really when human flourishing um, picks up momentum in communities that put one person in charge of, of too much. And there's yeah, little yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, as, as we come to uh, the, the end of our conversation, I thought I, I would love to hear, I know you have so many stories, stories of women that you've met around the globe. Um, can you share with, uh, with our listeners a story that uh, continues to touch your heart? Yeah. That would yeah. inspire us. Yes. Well, I think about Emily and Yanga, who was ordained as uh, the first female bishop in the Church of Kenya this last year in March. And I remember just her deep humility, her commitment to theological excellence. She's a professor at St. Paul's University. And we were working in Johannesburg about six years ago. We were holding a conference there and doing some sort of local trainings. And she and I were talking about the fact there was, you know, would the church Anglican Church in Kenya ever ordain a woman bishop? And she said, oh, I don't know. And I thought, I said, Emily, I really, I just really sense you would be such a great example. And she looked at me and she said, I don't know. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that will ever happen, Mimi. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
you know, she just did not see herself as um, in this in enormous role of responsibility, but also, you know, the limelight that came with it. She comes from a very impoverished region of Kenya, and she is she's worked so hard to produce women scholars, to stand by them in their ministries. She was sort of like, you know, the Apostle Paul who went around nurturing all these uh, groups of Christian churches and their, ch and their children and their marriages. And I think the Holy Spirit moved in and said, she's the one. And it happened so quickly. And she's, I said, Emily, what's the one thing we can do for you in your new position of leadership? And again, you know, in Emily's humility, she said, I just, I would love it if you would pray for me every week. And so if you're listening to this podcast, add Emily to your prayer list. She, <laughs> she wants prayer. She wants to remain in touch with the true source of her character and her strength and her calling. Oh, that is, that's so powerful. And what a, uh, and, and so true. And so true. So yes, we do wish Emily the best for her sake and for the church's sake uh, around the world. That that's wonderful. Mimi, I just, I could keep going on and on and on. And you know, we have over coffee and meals and uh, just have had such a great time. Thank you so much for talking with us and our listeners on the alabaster jar really appreciate it and thank you so much Lynn, and god bless you and your important work much love to you all you've been listening to another episode of the alabaster jar podcast if you've enjoyed today's conversation with dr mimi haddad you can keep up with the work of cbe international and her work as an author through the links that we will include in this episode's description and we hope that you'll join us right back here again next week for another conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith theology and ministry